HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box, a full-service marketing and commerce platform that helps restaurants get discovered, make more money, and engage their diners. Join over 8,000 restaurants already using Bento Box today to deliver better hospitality. Visit getbento.com slash chef today to get your first month free. That's getbento.com slash chef. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. I'm Souther Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Yeah. All right, guys. Here we go again. Here we go again. <laughs> but hey, you know what? We're here we go again in, in springtime. I don't know. Yeah. It was a it's it's been beautiful here in Brooklyn. I don't know how it is out in California. I assume it's just always nice. That's why everybody who goes there never comes back. But you know, it's nice to see things are are opening up. Just ignore the fact that we said this exactly 365 days ago. And we're like, well, things are opening up. <laughs> Spring is here. This is great. Just ignore that part and and give yourself some space to enjoy it is what I'd like to say. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I out here, things are definitely seeming a little bit more normal. Um, you know, there was the ADI Spirits Judging Competition. Uh, so got to see a lot of friends out here for that. And then the next weekend, uh, my coworker, and I, Reza, uh, as my league, we worked at a rooftop whiskey event. And then last weekend, my band played its first show uh, since, you know, pre-pandemic. So it's amazing. Yeah, things are happening, man. It feels good. Yeah, week over week, it's just getting more and more open. Talk a little bit about the band, man. It's a new band, right? It's a new twist on an old thing. Um, ah. so, <laughs> no, um, it's a lot literally of people, everything we do. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of people know that I was in a band for a long time called Brothers. Um, so it, it's four of the six guys that were in, were in Brothers, but it's called the Lone Wolf Coyotes, which is, I'm from Lone Wolf, Oklahoma, and the Coyotes are our mascot. So it's basically named after our high school football team. <laughs> it's pretty, <laughs> so, pretty stupid, but uh, I like it. I like that there's two different animal names in the title. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of like, it's it's outlaw country still, but like a little bit more psych and a little bit more funky. So uh it's real. It's got a California twist on what we were doing before. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Played our first show at an old school bar, uh, live music venue called Perry's in Fairfax, out here in Marin County. And uh, 
yeah, yeah, it was great. Great turnout. Um, yeah, no complaints. I, it was, but it, it was weird that, you know, that this show compared to the last show that I played was all new songs, all new guitars, uh, and all new venue, uh, and, uh, some new members. So it was like, it was, it was kind of surreal at times, but yeah, we, we had a great time. So, yeah. Did you bring the Dove guitar that you got from Canada? No, that's, uh, the Barney Kessel. I did. I did bring that. Yeah. And, uh, I did get to see Carlson, the guy who got it for me, uh, and shipped it. But, um, next time hmm. sounded awesome. Got a lot of compliments. I mean, I'm sure that thing's gorgeous. Uh, plus like, I don't know, to be back on stage, to be up there, to be back doing a thing you love doing after so long of not being able to do it. I'm sure that was a great feeling too. Yeah. And maybe had too much whiskey, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> there's no such thing as too much whiskey. Well, there's moderation in all things, including moderation. So sometimes yeah. <laughs> you gotta, you know, let, let we were just, things fly. We're just excited when you get back on stage after a long time, you know. So, we, but it was all good. We didn't didn't mess up too bad and uh, had a great time. Yeah. Um. Actually, speaking of whiskey, um, yes. we we should get into the show because we've got a lot to talk about. Actually, um, one of our guests today was on the Speakeasy. Eight years ago, <laughs> if my math is correct, um, and when it was just just yours truly hosting the yeah. show on Speakeasy, mm-hmm. um, and then our next or other guest is very new to the show, so it's going to be really fun to talk with both of them. Um, so let's get into it. I think with especially with the Derby coming up, this is perfect timing to have both of our guests on today in the studio. We have. Elizabeth McCall and Chris Morris. Welcome back, Chris, and welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Both from our, one of our favorite whiskey distilleries, Woodford Reserve. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So, Chris, we talked, as I said, eight years ago. I, I feel like I, you know, I've been doing the show for so long. I feel like I'm really dating myself every time I announce these things that happened so long ago. I'm feeling it too. But I mean, but you know, you've been with Brown Foreman since 1870, so you know, you know what it's all about. <laughs> I'm kidding. Brown Foreman's been around since 1870, but yeah, <laughs> that's right. But sometimes I feel like it as well. <laughs> well, it's great to have you back, and uh, great to have you on, Elizabeth, as well. So let's just get into it. I mean, obviously, a lot of people know Woodford Reserve, but let's just get a kind of a quick, kind of review of of what uh what Woodford Reserve is and like when it started and and what it's all about well certainly we're very proud um of of course Woodford Reserve and thank you for including us today in your program uh Woodford Reserve is one of those brands that people think have been around for a hundred plus years but we're just celebrating our 25th anniversary this last year Uh, Woodford Reserve was created as a concept by the late Owsley Brown II, who was chairman of Brown Foreman. And he issued a challenge to us uh, approximately 28, 29 years ago that we were going to create a new bourbon, a bourbon that would have its own distillery and a distillery that would be open for people to visit. And that was a radical idea at the time because bourbon was in a steep decline, a generational decline. Famous distilleries had been closing. We were down to nine distilleries in Kentucky. Famous brands had been discontinued, sold off, just became irrelevant. And there was no famous Kentucky bourbon trail. 
You could only visit one distillery in the Commonwealth. So for Owsley to propose doing what seemed to be the opposite of reality uh, drew a lot of criticism. But we persevered. Uh, we purchased the old LeBron Graham Distillery in Woodford County. That brown form had actually closed in 1959. Recreated a new old-fashioned production process and introduced Woodford Reserve um, to very little acclaim in 1996 because who wanted another bourbon? And of course, had built a visitor center and opened our doors for people to visit. And that was the game changer for the industry. We have seen the craft distillery movement grow from Woodford Reserve to nearly 3,000 distilleries across the country, nearly 85 distilleries in Kentucky now. Over 400 Kentucky straight bourbon brands launched since we launched Woodford. And of course, the Kentucky Bourbon Trail is a leading tourism attraction in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. So Owsley's vision has certainly paid off. And we have gone from obscurity to now we're the fifth largest bourbon in the world. Yeah. You know, you do see it in a lot of places, a lot of places for sure. I remember when it came out, uh, I might have been slightly underage. So sorry, earmuffs for that. But there was, uh, I was drinking at a, a bar uh, in my neighborhood in Oklahoma City, and sales rep came by with a bottle of it and was tasting the bar manager on it. And I saw the bottle, and you know, I come from a design background. And back then, I, I wasn't even in the bar industry yet; I was still doing design work. And I saw it, and it immediately struck me just visually. You know, it has this kind of like thin flask kind of thing, which you know I hadn't, I'd never seen anything like it, but I. I was asked if I'd like to try it because I was commenting on the packaging. And so I got to try it then. And then I got to say that Woodford Reserve is actually the first bourbon that really got me into drinking just whiskey in general, honestly. That's a very common story we hear that Woodford was many people's introduction to our great industry. And I'm glad you mentioned the bottle because that was, no pun intended, by design. (laughs) We needed a new look. We didn't want to look like all the other bourbons, uh, which were all trying to look like Jack Daniels at the time anyway. We needed a new look because we we had high aspirations. This brand would compete with single malt scotch and cognac on a global basis, not just the bourbon market in the United States. So we had to look new. And again, that was a very important part of the formula that has made Woodford Reserve so successful. I think also you were talking about tourism before. And to me, Woodford Reserve is one of the, it's one of the most beautiful distilleries on the trail. I So much so that I think I, I think I might've mentioned this last time, but uh, the first time I visited, I was on a, a little tour and uh, kind of, was kind of like straggling behind a little bit and I decided that I was like looking at the stills. And I was like, God, they're just so beautiful. I was drawn like a fly to a flame, and but like literally to a flame because I touched it and kind of burned my hand. Uh, so the, the guy that was giving the tour didn't uh, didn't see this happen. But I was like, oh, okay. I was like, now I need a mint julep to put in my hand to cool this down. <laughs> but they're just it's just a beautiful facility, and um, so I think there's you know for me, I've always said that a lot of it has to do with visual. I mean, think about I always think about you know, the drink side of things and then the food side of things, you know, for, for food, your first 
sense memory. The first sense you're going to use is olfactory, right? You can smell the food cooking while it's being done. But then your first sense that you use with, say, drinks, I mean, it's typically visual. So it's important to really focus in on, literally focus in on the visuals. You know, so very cool. And I like that, you know, I know that a lot of brands that have kind of flat flask shaped bottles, they worry about them being turned sideways on the back bar to fit in between a couple of bottles to take up less real estate. But what I've noticed a lot of times with Woodford Reserve when it's on the back bar, it's always outward facing. And then that gives you an opportunity to slide an extra bottle behind it <laughs> on the shelf, which <laughs> yeah. is a pretty sweet move. And I, and I know that this is all things that you thought about, you know, and kind of like pined over for a long time because that's that's what you do in marketing. You know, you, you have to like do do your due diligence to uh, figure out how to do it. So, but it turned out really great. So what we have in front of us, you did send us some bottles. We have the Distiller Select Woodford Reserve Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. I mean, it's I need to make a little sound effect here, but, you know, for the show, um, I'm just going to pour some while we get going. It's 9 a.m. out here in California, but I'll just pour a little <laughs> bit. Um, but yeah, so let's talk about Elizabeth. And so, Elizabeth, you are the youngest. Are you the youngest distiller or the youngest female distiller? I heard something about this. You know, I, I honestly don't know. And there's so many rising stars in the distilling space in today's world, you know. Mm -hmm. I may or may not be. But <laughs> I'm definitely for for a brand like Woodford Reserve that's globally recognized. I am the first female to represent um, one of these types of brands, um, which is really, really a huge honor and kind of crazy to stop and think about. So I don't stop and think about it too often. Yeah, it's <laughs> a good approach. I'd like to jump in and just say, like, I noticed from your bio that you sent over to us, you're second generation in bourbon in your family following your mother's footsteps. Um, and then, of course, Chris, your third generation at Brown Foreman alone. Like, ha talk a little bit, both of you, about how uh, how that impacts the bourbon uh, sort of industry in general. Because this is common, right? It's not so common in, in other industries to have multiple generations work on work on projects. Talk about that a little. Well, certainly here in Kentucky, where the industry coalesced, um, certainly after uh, the repeal of prohibition. It expanded across the country and then coalesced with with the gradual decline of whiskey in general, as we see the growth of vodka and other other beverage alcohol types in the 80s and 90s. And uh, it wasn't an attractive business for many people, certainly for young people to join. So I think that family connection um, was necessary to keep our industry going. Just because this is what your family has done and you have connections. Um, your, your parents and your friends are all in the industry that just help propagate and sustain the industry. So it was very important, uh, certainly for me, because I grew up in, in a very strong bourbon household. And I just thought that's the way the world was. Well, that's like far farming and agriculture. That's the same thing. You know, my family farm, we've had it for five generations. It's, Whiskey is an agricultural product, so it makes sense that it would be passed down through generations, right? Yeah, I, it, it is interesting. You know, it's my mother. I mean, she worked for Seagram's, um, and she was quality control and um, and their bottling operations. And really, I mean, and she had stepped out of that 
role once we were our, the kids came along because you know during that time it was just a different world and women weren't as supported as they are today in the workforce but it's just interesting to see that I stepped into I mean I started in quality control just like my mother so um very cool we both have uh, that kind of attitude and that that interest in maintaining quality which I always say is not the most sexy area but it's kind of one of the most important areas of <laughs> of all products, you know, it's like you, if it, I always got on my soapbox and like, if it doesn't taste right, you know, you can run all the analytical tests, but it has to taste right to the consumer or else you've lost that consumer forever. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I always say this in, in the bar industry, it's like, you got to taste everything. Right. <laughs> and it's, it's really true <laughs> with quality control and anything. So I, I love that. Um, so when, how long have you been now with which reserve Elizabeth? I'm coming on 13, 13 years in oh, the cool. industry. Yeah. So um, it's kind of crazy to think about that it's been that long because it just feels like yesterday when I first stepped into Brown Foreman as a sensory technician. So um, yeah, it's been a fun yeah. ride for sure. I'm curious, I'm curious the definition between those two things you did. You were sensory expert and then you moved into master taster. Uh, what's What's the delineation between those two jobs? Well, they're very, uh, they are similar and they're kind of, uh, they build on each other, I guess. I mean, I started out as a sensory technician and it was really, uh, I was in charge of setting up taste panels and cleaning them up, managing all the inventory of our samples and entering data and producing reports. And then the master taster role got to be much more, it was leveraging all my sensory skills um, and using them to put together beautiful batches of Woodford to help on innovation projects and, um, and just kind of elevate it and more focused those skills on the Woodford Reserve brand. And then you do a lot of R&D for new products, right? Um, and how do you, when I think of bourbon, I think, well, it's bourbon. When you say new <laughs> products, what do you mean? Yeah, uh, that's been a really fun space to step into. So in my role as assistant master distiller, that's where Chris has really uh, given me the reins. And I, kind of, I mean, manage those projects for sure. And we work together on coming up with innovation. Because as you said, I mean, bourbon has specific rules. So how do we innovate um, and, and still either make a bourbon, but you can also make stuff outside of the bourbon category. We don't have any um, kind of uh, guidance on that other than we just want to manipulate one of the five sources of flavor to create beautiful flavors within Woodford Reserve. So it's, it's always uh, for like our, our master's collections and distillery series, we really push the envelope at times. And I know Chris was, I know what some of the earlier ones he's told me about were people were like with, for instance, like the Sonoma Catrera Chardonnay finish oh, yeah. uh, that we did uh, really, because at the time people thought that was crazy. How would you possibly Chris Morris, what are you doing to this whiskey? And now that's, highly celebrated. And I think it's so interesting that he and Woodford Reserve really pushed the envelope from before pushing the envelope was the cool thing to do. And now it's like so cool and, and yeah. we're doing it still, but um, yeah, but we're the OGs of pushing the envelope and whiskey. Yeah. I mean, I remember like, geez, um, almost 15 years ago when he came out with the, it was the first four grain whiskey. I think I probably ever had. Yeah, uh, that was right after, or maybe that was before the Sonoma Kutcher. Um, it, it was, and, and it was the first four grain whiskey you would have ever had because it was the first four grain whiskey ever. Yeah, <laughs> well, that makes sense. 
Um, but I, I fell in love with four grain, four grain whiskey. And then, you know, shortly after, you know, Tuttletown put out one and then a few others. And so, yeah, I, it, cause I was working at Linnell's at the time in Brooklyn. And so we had, we had all the cool stuff before it came out. Yeah. I love Linnell, by the way. She's the best. Um, <laughs> yeah. champion, champion. <laughs> yeah. And so, oh man. Yeah. That, I, I think I might still have a bottle of that somewhere or at least a partial bottle of it, um, somewhere in my stash, but. It's one of those things where like you get something really cool and unique and that's super limited. And then you do that thing where you just kind of like, you start out with like a two ounce pour. And then as you go down the bottle, it goes to a one ounce pour. And then by the end of it, you're just like, you know, dipping a pinky in it. <laughs> and taste it. Right. So, uh, yeah, so I get, so yeah, as far as innovation goes, keep innovating so I can keep drinking some of these rare whiskeys and not feel bad we about will, it. We will. <laughs> Um, I think this is probably a good time to take a quick break because we're about halfway uh, into the hour. So uh, let's do that, hear from our sponsors, and we'll come back in just a bit and continue talking about Woodford Reserve with Elizabeth and Chris. Back in a moment. So, Souther, I learned something interesting the other day. Yeah, what's that? I learned that, so I, I mean, you might know this about me already, but I can't stand wastage. I hate food waste. I hate wasting beer. I hate wasting spirits. It's just, it, it, it bothers me on a granola environmental level. And it also bothers me just on kind of like a, you know, man, I could have drank that sort of level. Mm -hmm. And I was learning about the dollar amounts that you can put on overpouring just a teeny tiny little bit of whiskey every single night for a year. And it's, it's pretty staggering. And you want to know Thanks. where I learned that? I, I'm, I'm bated breath. I'm waiting to hear. DiageoBarAcademy.com, man. Well, of course. Yeah. Tons of really great tools. I actually took one of their modules about, you know, uh, the art, I believe, the art of the perfect serve. Mm -hmm. uh, but either way, it was a really interesting module about, you know, how to make sure that you're getting the most bang for your buck out of the spirits that you're pouring on your bar. And really, that's, you know, that's what it's all about, man. I mean, whether we like it or not, it's a business and we have to run it as such, right? We want to have a lot of fun, but we want to make sure that we're, we're keeping the doors open by making sure the dollars are flowing. Listen, we've all been talking about it for quite a while now. Diageo Bar Academy online courses offer real life skills to help you grow your career. Um, they're always free, interactive, and each e-learning course takes less than 30 minutes and they're on demand. You can do them anytime you want. So before work, on your break, after work, uh, whenever you can get to it. Um, plus, at the end, when you do these things, you receive a, a certificate of completion, which you can view on your profile at any time, and you can stack those up, and it's almost like a, an education that you, you know, curated yourself, like a graduate program. Listen, to learn more about what Diageo Bar Academy has to offer to grow your career, visit diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become a member and be sure to opt in for the newsletter. That's where you're going to get all the up-to-date information on what courses to take next. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. In the heart of Williamsburg, Brooklyn, Lilia combines wood-fired seafood, handcrafted pasta, classic Italian cocktails, and warm hospitality. Since 2016, it's been celebrated as a neighborhood gathering place, bringing the best of Italy to New York City. Lilia is one of over 8,000 restaurants that leverage bento box to power their digital front door, including their website, gift cards, event management, and more. BentoBox is a marketing and commerce platform built specifically for the hospitality industry. With BentoBox, get discovered, make more money, and engage your diners so you can deliver great hospitality both in person and online. Visit getbento.com chef today to learn more and get your first month free. That's getbento.com chef. 
And we are back. You're listening to the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. And today we have Elizabeth McCall and Chris Morris in the studio. Last time Chris was in the studio was eight years ago. And he brought in the fancy setup that Woodford Reserve does with the copper mint julep cup and all the things. Every year they do a different recipe and it's the thousand dollar mint julep. Can you, you, too bad we're doing this remotely because I could really use a mint julep right now. Something really refreshing in the morning. So next time, guys, we're going to do this live in the studio um, instead of remotely. We're getting there. Um, that sounds good. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit? Can you refresh us on the uh, the the thousand dollar mint julep? Yes, this is our seventeenth year of the Woodford Reserve one thousand dollar mint julep program at the Kentucky Derby, all raising money for a good cause, a charitable cause. And each year, as you noted, we have a different theme for the cup design and mm-hmm. therefore a different julep in the cup. And this year we have 148 cups. This is Derby 148. Uh, 18 of the cups are gold plated, 24 karat gold. The rest are silver. Each cup has a horseshoe made out of rubies set into the cup. Oh yeah, it and was gold. I the, thought it was copper. Gold makes more sense. All right, continue. <laughs> oh yes, Derby, Derby gold. That uh, that and, uh, that julep was strong, so I kind of forgot the details. <laughs> <laughs> and the the theme this year is we are celebrating the French connection, the historical and pun intended spiritual connection between Kentucky and France. Of course, the House of Bourbon gives our great spirit mm-hmm. its name. Uh, King Louis gives Louisville its name. And of course, the county seat of Woodford County and the mailing address of Woodford Reserve is Versailles, Kentucky, which is named after King Louis's home, Versailles, France. So we did a little research and the palace in Versailles is famous for its nursery, its hothouse called the Laranger. And in the Laranger, they grow three special trees that we have incorporated in this year's thousand dollar mint julep. And Elizabeth will tell you all about those. Cool. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun kind of looking at what flavors we could pull from Versailles to complement our bourbon from Versailles. And so we went with lemon and orange and pomegranate. Oh. And so for, and then we actually got honey sourced from France uh, to make a honey simple syrup for our thousand dollar mint julep this year. So it, it's a, an interesting, fun twist on the mint julep. So it doesn't have any mint in the drink other than some lemon mint sprigs. Um, but what we're doing is we're taking the peel of the lemon and the orange and the pomegranate arrow and uh, the honey simple syrup. We're going to muddle that up in the drink, add two ounces of Woodford Reserve. Then, of course, your crushed ice um, and then put the, the lemon mint sprigs in next to the straw. So you still get the mint as you're sipping and from your nose. So your sensory you know, olfactory is going to get filled with it there, but then on your palate as well. And of course, garnish the top with the lemon, orange, and, um, and the pomegranate arrows. So it's, it's beautiful, like visually, and the flavor is really, really interesting and complex too. It sounds amazing. Yeah, it sounds great. And I would love to be at the Derby having one, but you said you, you, you listed some numbers of the cups. Um, how does one get so lucky as to be able to spend a thousand dollars to get one of these cups? Yes. Um, Woodford Reserve Mint Julep.com, one long word, all lowercase, Woodford Reserve Mint Julep.com is our website. And 
You can go online and simply look at the cups. They're beautiful cups, the gold-plated and silver cups. And if you like, you can order one. Now, the trick is you're going to get it at the track on Derby Day at the Woodford Reserve $1,000 Mint Julep Experience. So that's part of the fun, coming to the track and getting your cup and having your drink made right in front of you. You know, $1,000 for a cocktail doesn't even phase me after living in New York for the past 20 years. Um, <laughs> and it also goes to charity, right? That's right. And this year's charity is Old Friends Farm, which is a thoroughbred retirement farm, home of many retired Kentucky Derby winners, Eclipse winners, Breeders' Cup nice. Championship winners. That's a beautiful farm right next to Woodford County and Scott County. And um, if you want to see some of the world's most famous horses, they're there. You can come and visit. Yeah, and there's a strong connection with Woodford Reserve and, and horse racing, right? Something to do with limestone water. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, Woodford County is the epicenter of the North American thoroughbred horse breeding industry. We have over 150 of the world's finest thoroughbred farms, and they're here for a reason. Yeah. So, I mean, if you've had, you've been to our distillery, so, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. when you drive out to Woodford, you see all these beautiful horse farms and, and it's kind of like, well, bourbon traditionally comes from Kentucky thoroughbred horses. That's our industry. Why? And that's the limestone filtered water. So the limestone filtered water has calcium, potassium, magnesium. I mean, if you look at a mineral water bottle, like if you, you read the label, it has those ingredients, those minerals are in there. There's a reason for it. I mean, for the horses, it really gives them strong bones. And so they're drinking this water and that gives them strong bones to be great thoroughbred racehorses. And then the, for bourbon, it's iron free, which iron can give you discoloration and off notes in your whiskey, but it's also sweet water. So think of those floral notes that you'll find particularly in Woodford Reserve. And it's coming from that water. I mean, we are using that water directly in our mash cooker. We are not required to filter it because it doesn't see the light of day. We're pumping it from an aquifer well into our mash cooker. So it's just such a vital part of our bourbon making process, but also for the thoroughbreds in our area. That's so cool. It is cool. I also think it's pretty rad that, that the charity is Old Friends Farm, which is where some maybe older thoroughbreds go to pasture off the rest of their lives. And that's that's a great, I don't know, community building tie, I'm certain, for, for the distillery. And it looks like the farm is pretty near the distillery as well. But you're also doing other environmental things, which I'm I'm always a fan of. My my bars and, and places all are always trying to make sure that we take care of the community and uh, and the world around us. Can you talk a little bit about the Den? Uh, if I'm pronouncing it right, the Dendry Fund. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting word or name for the the foundation. But uh, the Dendry Fund is is a great organization that kind of supports the sustainability practices of wood, water, and grain. And so Woodford is, is involved in all areas, but one of the projects that we're really, really focused in on and, and the first to be a part of was the Kentucky Rye uh, Project. So it's bringing rye grain production for commercial use back to Kentucky. And I mean, when we first got involved, it was something where I just wanted to help minimize our, our carbon footprint by sourcing local. Um, because right now, traditionally, large whiskey producers are getting their rye from Europe and in part in northern parts like up into Canada because it doesn't grow well in Kentucky. But then you get used to then you learn more and you realize there's so many other wonderful benefits to growing rye on your farm during the winter 
months when your fields are fallowed. So um, it, it has a long root system. So you're maintaining topsoil. It does carbon sequestration, which is something that I think is really, really exciting. It's actually helping reverse the, the, the negative impact of carbon on our environment. Um, and so it really for me and, and for Chris and just for Woodford Reserve, we want people to know when they buy a bottle of Woodford Reserve, they're buying a product that's supporting sustainability practices and trying to make our planet a better place. And then we're very proud that our spent mash is given to local farmers for use as cattle feed. So the local farming community that supports us, we give back to them in return. Yeah, that's got to be a great uh, sort of symbiotic uh, relationship. You know, what are you going to do with it? <laughs> right. Oh, I know. Well, we have to get rid of it. It's one of those things. If you don't, your your distillery is plugged up and nobody likes that. So <laughs> you got to get rid of it. And it's great to be able to support those farmers who support us back. So it's good. Yeah, man. I love that. So talk talk to me a little bit about, I want to know, we were talking earlier a little bit about um, kind of the the OG experimental stuff y'all are doing. Talk to me about, because I also have a delicious bottle of Woodford Reserve in front of me here. Talk to me a little bit about this and talk to me a little bit about the, um, the, the featured artists that y'all have on these bottles this year for the Derby. Okay, well, the... The uh, Derby art goes back to our first year as the official bourbon of the Kentucky Derby. And we're always proud to point out we're not only uh, the first, but the only bourbon to be the official bourbon of the greatest horse race in the world. And that was in 1999. So we're in our 23rd year of this um, great partnership with Churchill Downs. And since 1999, we've had a Derby bottle. And we select artists who, of course, are equestrian, equestrian artists. Um, and we leave it to the artist to bring their style, oil painting, watercolors, acrylic, uh, focus on the stands, focus on the race, focus on uh, dress, hats, etc., to bring their vision of the Kentucky Derby uh, to life. And it's fun working with them. Elizabeth and I get to meet some of these wonderful artists and spend some time with them, our guests at the at the Derby, for example. And uh, uh, some have been repeat artists. Some are one and dones. Uh, just depends on how how things are going. Uh, uh, they've been from California, but most have been from the Kentucky area. Um, and um, and one from New York. So we've sort of spanned, spanned the country in our, in our choice of, uh, of these famous, uh, artists. Nice. I, I don't know if I've ever seen, uh, this artist, but it would, I, I would collect, uh, I do collect this artist named Mark Maggiore, um, who does all these great horses and like old West cowboy stuff. And, uh, I was just like looking at my wall, of these paintings and then i just held the w bottle up to it real quick and it looked really great but um so this this artist though is jamie corum yes cool yeah she's a kentucky native and um still lives in kentucky and she's ridden horses her whole life and drawn horses her whole life and so what i love is that i mean i've loved all of our previous artists they're fantastic but her being an equestrian and understanding the mind and the soul of the horse. It, I just think it comes through so well in, in the three horses she has on the bottle yeah. this year. So it's, I'm an equestrian. So I just really, 
I was going to ask. <laughs> I was like, okay, you kind of have to be right. If you live in Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. I, you know, I'm also looking at your website right now. I was going to try to say this earlier, but I'm, I wear hats a lot. So I especially love the Derby. Um, cause it is, it's, it is, you know, it's a horse race, but it's also like a hat festival, okay. you know? Yeah. <laughs> It is, it is a time to wear things that you wouldn't normally wear out in public, and it's totally normal, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's so much fun. Seersucker and big hats. Yep. So good. Well, let's get back to the whiskey um, real quick, because, you know, we talked a little bit about um, the mid julep, and obviously it's in all the top bars around the world. Um, I did want to kind of back up a little bit and touch on something we were getting to before, but... For you, Elizabeth, it must be kind of crazy being in the position you're in for the last, you know, 13 years, you said. And, you know, even from the last time that I spoke with Chris on the show, a lot of, well, except for, or maybe even including the last two years, but I'm sure that getting into the role that you're in now, you've probably, you've probably been all over the place, right? Uh, talking at different, you know, different conferences and seminars and you've seen firsthand you said you know that it's the fifth most uh placed bourbon in around the world or was did you say fourth yeah fifth largest in the world fifth largest yeah so that must be really exciting i mean like to see something firsthand i i feel like every week when we do this show just a ton of stuff has happened you know it the growth is just insane um so it must be really exciting for you and you know especially kind of working up through the the company and then getting out there on the road. I mean, I know that Chris has seen a lot since he started with this brand. So uh, I just kind of yeah. want to get your take on it. And like, did you think that you were going to, I don't know, like for me, I never thought that when I first started bartending that I would travel the world because of it, you know? And so yeah. I know that Chris and I talked about it um, and I've spoken with other uh, master distillers as well in Kentucky. And they're just like, they're like, I can't believe what has happened <laughs> and how big this is now. It it really, it, you're right. I mean, we were in a meeting I was with the Kentucky Distillers Association yesterday. And we were just talking about, I mean, we can't even keep up with the demand of people wanting to come and visit our distilleries. I mean, we have so many opening up, so many craft distilleries. There's just so much going on. And and we can't, we have to turn people away. And it's so sad because we're Kentucky, we're bourbon. We love sharing it with people. And so to have to be like, I'm sorry, we don't have any more space is just crazy. But it's, the growth is so much greater than I think anybody could have possibly anticipated. And I know when I entered the industry 13 years ago, it was just sort of starting to percolate. It was just starting to get like some interest and gain some momentum and um, and now it's just like, I talked to Chris and Chris was like, well, it was easy to know all the brands back when I first started because there were <laughs> you could count them on your hand. A handful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I don't even try to keep up. I'm like, thank God. I love hearing you say that. Cause I can't keep up. Cause every week there's a new, you know, label out and, um, it's not even, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with sourcing whiskey, but it's like, it's not just there's distilleries producing multiple labels. And so it's like, you can't count just by the distilleries. It's, it's literally just labels and brands and it's, it's a lot and it's exciting because it's what's good for the goose is good for the gander. You know, it just is a um, really, really exciting to see. I love seeing the world's interest in our native spirit. 
Yeah. I, I, to me, it was like, I've been asking people a lot lately, you know, do you think the two years of COVID gave everyone like a chance to like slow down and take a breath or did it just get busier? And I, I think it's just gotten busier for everyone. Busier. It got, it got busier. It sure did. I mean, Souther, he's opened like a hundred bars in the last two years. It seems like. <laughs> yeah. I'm climbing that ladder. That's for sure. I mean, Chris, 25 years of Woodford being around and you've, you've created all these other sort of offshoots, the master's collection, the double oaked, which is delicious. I think we've had talks about that on the show before the, the rye. I mean, where do you, where do you come up with these ideas for these innovations? And I guess the bigger question is what, what, as you just said, you're the fifth largest producer. What makes you think you need to, it seems to me that like you've cracked it out of the park, just stay with it. Well, that's definitely, um, uh, an argument that why do we keep innovation when uh, we are very busy making what is just required for, for our business growth. But uh, innovation for us uh, really keeps us, keeps us sharp, keeps, keeps the team interested when they know that in a month there's going to be a special distillation, a uh, special barreling that, you know, just get your, get your uh, adrenaline flowing and everybody gets really excited and we'll have a meeting and we'll talk about it and taste it. Elizabeth was at, um, was uh, doing a, some training the other day at the distillery. So we, we do it for, for a, a selfish purpose to keep everybody just really energized. And then because we do, as Elizabeth noted, we have our master's collection and distillery series, um, those give us a commercial outlet for our innovation. So, you know, we're a business. It's fun to sell extra cases and extra cases of ultra premium priced products. And then um, we all have a little bit of an ego. We hope people like them and, and say nice things about them. And that makes us feel good too. So uh, it's, it's just part of our DNA because we, again, uh, started down the innovation trail early on and I think have proven to be an inspiration for a whole new generation of distillers. I mean, that's definitely for sure. You, you're, you're out there, you know, setting an example that people can aspire to and, and really chase after to make their own dreams come true. And that's a pretty fascinating place to be as well. I would ask also, though, you know, you don't just say to yourself, we're going to do the, I don't know, the double oaked and it's going to be a success. How many, if you're willing to share, how many like iterations do you have to go through? How much R&D has to happen before you get to something that's, that's, you know, shelfable and sellable and, you know, how much, uh, how much are you guys just drinking on site because you don't, you don't feel like it could go out to the world? Well, again, it, it will vary from what flavor source we're, we're changing. Elizabeth is really now responsible for new grain recipes and those require a lot more, uh, R and D. Um, we're very, very, um, comfortable with our knowledge of barrel finishing and oak having our own cooperage, the Brown Foreman cooperage as our partner. Uh, and of course, finishes are much quicker turnaround because they use an existing or mature whiskey stock. So some are, are less complex, less complicated, shorter production or lead time, and some require years. Elizabeth's been working on a couple of grain recipes for years now <laughs> yeah. uh, that are, are still still in the tweaking uh, process. But um, we also have this creative outlet of the distillery series and master's collection 
where we we run the proverbial trial balloon. And if it's well received, that can lead through some manipulation and some some changes for scalability to produce larger volumes into a new expression. For example, double oaked, which I know we're also fond of, uh, double oaked, uh, our initial work was done in the master's collection seasoned oak finish. So we did a lot of trial and development in seasoned oak. It was a huge hit. And again, tweaking that allowed us to create double oaked. So double oaked wasn't as long to develop because we'd already done the hard lifting early on. Right. Right. You got a lot of things, I don't want to say hanging out, but you got a lot of things at the at the Rick house that you can work with. It's not like you're coming up with something and you say, well, it's got to age for five years and we're five years away from tasting this. You can work with things you have to get them in a glass and, and then produce them, right? Yes. We've, we've have finishing barrels um, that are purely experimental that have been in, in, uh, in a, a finish mode for 10 years now. So again, um, we're constantly letting things work their way out, find out the peak of flavor, um, where flavors go south and maybe they return and, and you just have to have patience and, uh, and, and keep learning. Patience and time are two things we don't really have too much of. Yeah, bartenders <laughs> don't have that. <laughs> um, Either one, patience or time. Yeah, but you know what I'm really excited out of, the, the I've had kind of, most of these, as I look at the website, but I've never had the batch proof, so I'm really excited about that. I love trying whiskeys in their like they're kind, it's kind of in their purest form, right? It, when they're barrel strength or, or batch proof or cash strength, however you want to call it. Um, of course, you know you have the option of you know proofing it down as much as you want, but uh, but it's just always nice to see like you know, just the kind of liveliness that comes from uh, a barrel strength whiskey or rum or brandy, you know, anything that's barrel aged. So I, I just saw that on the website as I was scrolling through and 128, 128.3 proof. Sounds pretty dang good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll, I'll have to look around for that one out here. I, you know, I, I have to say this too, that like, Overproof whiskey, it you know, it's great, you know, on its own to like really understand what the whiskey was like, what its life was like inside the barrel. But I've talked with Dave Wondrich about this a lot, you know, that you make a Manhattan with a barrel uh, barrel strength whiskey, man, it really, you know, the the vermouth tames it down, but then it's got all that spice that you really want out of a a really beautiful Manhattan cocktail. I mean, I'm already thinking about this, uh, what I'm going to do with this first thing. Um, but yeah, I've got to grab a batch of, or a bottle of batch proof for sure. This is a, like the whole lineup is really cool because I mean, I like the last time I was at the distillery, it must've been probably six or seven years ago. So really all of these are new to me. Most of them, I think double, o double Oak had just come out and the rye, but most of these are new to me. Uh, I mean, I've had them at my bar in Brooklyn. But, you know, new to me as far as visiting the distillery goes. So I also can't wait to visit again. And I'll make sure to reach out and make, uh, make sure you're there when I come. 
So, hey, let's just uh, let's get into the uh, the kind of context. Obviously, it's woodfordreserve.com. Uh, are there any social media uh, kind of plugs that you know people can follow along with the Kentucky Derby? Uh, yeah, you can follow us along at Woodford Reserve. Uh, the handle is at, at Woodford, Woodford Reserve for Instagram. Yeah, cool. And um, and then we're on Facebook. And I mean, myself and Chris will be on social media. Probably me more than Chris. Uh, you can find me at Elizabeth underscore O'Neill underscore McCall on Instagram, and I'll be posting some fun stuff as I go through all the craziness of Derby Week. And, hats, um, lots of hats. I don't know about you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I don't post. <laughs> That's okay, man. You make whiskey. <laughs> I, I live vicariously through Elizabeth. Right. <laughs> well, we get at least one hat shot of you from the Derby yeah. on her Instagram, though. That's what we want to know. Okay. Hats, gloves, that. parasols. <laughs> let's get it all. And mint juleps. Yeah. Of course. And of exactly. course, mint juleps in those beautiful $1,000. I love that it's the $1,000 mint julep, but if you want the gold one, it's. Uh, 2500 um <laughs> uh, but they're gorgeous and um, there's there's a part of me that's tempted but the pickup there is the is the hurdle i don't know if i can get down to the to the derby it's this the derby. year yeah that's the that's the thing i mean because you're by then you will probably have opened like three more bars at least i would imagine <laughs> all i gotta do is plan to open one there how about that <laughs> yeah okay see yeah. that's how in you churchill do downs there you go <laughs> it's a pop-up if anyone could do it you could still popping yeah. Well, cool. Um, you know, I love talking about bourbon, but we're at the show. Um, it's nice having you back on Chris. Nice to meet you, Elizabeth. Uh, thanks for sending us some Whitford Reserve in the mail. Um, I, yeah, this it's, it's just fun talking about this whiskey with you, but talking about the Derby, talking about art and design, talking horses. about horses in grass. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it's again, I like it's, it's, it's the whiskey that got me drinking whiskey. So, and as you said, you hear that story a lot. And, you know, I'm I'm happy to be a part of that. So thanks again for that. And thanks again for being on the show today. No, we really appreciate it. And uh, and we certainly do look forward to the next time. Hopefully all three of you all can can visit the distillery. And, and maybe we'll uh, open up a couple of special barrels here and there and uh, share some secrets with you all. Man, uh, that's, uh, that's certainly enticing. That, that, yeah. that sweet the pot. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, guys, uh, flights to Kentucky are pretty cheap, so we should figure this out. Anyway, <laughs> that's it for the Speakeasy this week. Check out Heritage Radio Network for many more programs like this one. Click on the beating heart to donate to the station and check out Woodford Reserve. And uh, until next time, everyone, cheers. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. 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 So you don't shun the devil with your The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>